You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1174 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday. And today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Today's podcast will break down what became a free, pretty frustrating loss for the Hawks at the hands of Dallas Mavericks by a final score of 103 to 94 in Dallas. Uh, with this defeat, the Hawks have now lost three of their last four after winning seven games in a row, so some frustration boiling, I know, in the fan base. And this is a game that, honestly, as a basketball observer and someone who tries to be neutral, I would say that this was a pretty brutal game to watch. It was also a very strange basketball game. We'll get into all of why, but it was kind of a slugfest throughout. Not a lot of flow, really, at any point in this contest. And I'd say that even if the Hawks won this game, I would, I would have the same sentiment as a takeaway. It would be a more positive episode for the Hawks, but it was a weird kind of bad game, honestly, if you were being objective about it. But a back-and-forth game was pretty close the entire way. Um, the Hawks were within striking distance the entire way. They led in the first led in the first quarter. They were trailing, but not by a huge margin. And then the Dallas kind of broke it open in the fourth quarter with a 12-2 run down the stretch, and that was uh, too much for the Hawks to overcome. As we'll get into in a second, the offense was the problem in this contest. And defensively, it was uh, competent for, mo- for the most part for the Hawks, other than one glaring weakness, which we'll get into as well. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of the frustration and the tenor of the evening, and we'll dive into the game and sort of the backdrop of it at this point in time. This is a rematch of the season opener between these two teams where the Hawks got the best of the Mavericks by a pretty lopsided margin in Atlanta. Um, a lot's changed since then. Dallas has been playing pretty well, especially on defense this season, whereas the Hawks, of course, had that scuffle early and they've been better lately, but not um, not overly fantastic for the season, of course, kind of frustrating fashion. Uh, no rest advantages for either team. They both played on Friday, so uh, kind of a neutral there. Of course, the Hawks had to go from Toronto to Dallas, so an advantage there for the Mavericks as they had to travel and then play on the road, of course. Injury-wise, for this game, for the Hawks, they were largely at full strength. Lou Williams ended up missing this game with left hamstring tension. Uh, it was back spasms before that, so I'm not really sure if Lou's just banged up overall, but he was the only guy that missed this game for the Hawks. Injury-wise, both John Collins and Danilo Gallinari were listed as questionable coming in. Collins was not the shoulder, actually. it was He was listed as questionable with right heel discomfort. Ended up playing, and he was the best player for the Hawks in this game by a pretty wide margin. He was really good, so uh, no concerns there, at least in the short term. Gallinari ended up uh, being on the injury report with right hamstring tightness. Uh, did play. Wasn't his best self, but obviously was out there and was able to go. So the Hawks were close to full strength. And uh, one of the reasons why this is a frustrating game for the Hawks is that Dallas was not at full strength. Coming into the night, they had no Porzingis, their second-best player. Maxi Kleber was also out for the Mavericks as a late scratch. And Tim Hardaway Jr., old friend, and their best shooting guard, was also out in this game. So I would say three of their top seven guys, conservatively, in this contest. And then, as we get into later on, they played large portions of the second half without their two lead guards in Doncic and Jalen Brunson with foul trouble. And the Hawks still couldn't overcome all that. So roster-wise, the Hawks had the healthier, um, more complete group in this game, which kind of added to their frustration along the way. I will say that the wise guys in Las Vegas and our friends at Battle Line um, actually had the Hawks as two-point underdogs um, for most of the day. Ended up being about a one-point underdog by tip-off because of Collins playing, Gallinari playing, etc. But it wasn't like the Hawks were favored in this game. They had to go on the road. Honestly, I would have picked the Hawks to win if you made me choose coming into the night when I knew all the roster situations. So there is a little bit of context there, and you know we're obviously plugged in more on the Hawks than the national consensus. But in terms of the projection, this was kind of a coin flip game. So through that lens, it's hard to see like you know calling this like the worst loss of the season, which I kind of saw some people doing. I would not come close to going that far. It was a frustrating game for sure. That's in the headline of this podcast, even. 
as I'm recording it, but uh, I would say that it was uh, not, not a great loss, but not one that's like an all-timer either. So we're getting into the game now. Um, early on, it was what you expect defensively. It was DeAndre Hunter on Luka Doncic. The uh, Mavericks started small without their two uh, big guys in Porzingis and Kleber. Collins had to guard Dorian Finney-Smith, who's basically a small forward-sized player. They also got some dunks early on from Collins and Capella, but they missed their next six shots in a row, including the first four jump shots that they took in this game. They were down by 10, uh, sorry, 10 to 4 at the outset. The Hawks were working hard, though, on the interior. Capella had five rebounds in five minutes, including a pretty awesome one-on-four offensive rebound for a dunk that he had. And Collins was also awesome as well. And one of the themes in this game, honestly, even McMillan kind of said it in a roundabout way afterwards, was that the Hawks, when they were able to attack and get into the paint and get to their big guys, they were able to find success. That was the case the entire night, and it was kind of baffling. The Hawks didn't emphasize that even more. In fact, Atlanta didn't make a jump shot until about 6.30 left in the first quarter, so five and a half minutes without making a single jumper. And it was a third, it was a three by Herder, actually, to, cop, to cap a 7-0 run, give the Hawks their first lead of the game. But really, it was some pretty hideous shot-making from both teams in the first quarter. Um, the first six, seven minutes of the game was actually, they were combined 9 of 33 from the floor uh, on the two teams. So that's pretty ugly. It was 11 to 10 through seven minutes. Uh, Trey was 0 of 4. Luka was 2 of 9. Dallas was kind of giving Trey some issues with, with some crowding uh, and get, not giving him a lot of space offensively. Uh, rotationally, it was pretty similar to what the Hawks have been doing for a while now. They used Collins at center at times with Gallinari coming in next to him. They went to a Kongu late in the first quarter, and there was DeLon Wright as the backup point guard by himself in this game. Whenever Trey was off the floor, DeLon was the point guard, and he did play with Trey some, but it was a nine-man rotation. Um kind of further cementing the fact that Nate seems to trust 10 guys, and if any of them miss a game, if, 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 it's, if it's only one guy, he kind of sticks with nine. I will be interested to see if the Hawks ever have a game in the near future where they have more than one injury if Nate goes deeper into the bench. But for now, he is comfortable with, with these nine guys, or at least these 10 guys, if you were factoring Lou Williams in somebody else's place. The Hawks, though, did score 14 of the first 19 points in the paint, which is a good sign, but they kind of got away from that later on, as we got into a second ago. Um, kind of a back-and-forth first quarter until Dallas made a run late, an 8-0 run at the end of the period. The Hawks did get it back to three, uh, a deficit of three after a Gallinari dunk in the final minute or so. But the offense started slow and stayed slow throughout this game. Dallas wasn't great on twos early, but they actually made five threes in the first quarter, uh, sort of a preview of what was to come there. Um, as they've been doing recently, they actually used Kevin Herter as the bridge guy with the bench. In the second quarter of this game, they had some issues with Luka and Brunson. Both got a little bit loose in the first uh, quarter, maybe first quarter and a half of this game. They had to put they had put Bogey on Brunson at one point, which is not ever going to work. Like we talked about this in Slack actually during the game, but uh, it's kind of a weird thing to say out loud. But Bogdanovich is much better off guarding Doncic than he is Brunson because if there is a strength of Bogey's defensive game, it's his size and strength. Um, whereas if there's a weakness, it's his foot speed right now. He's definitely not the most fluid foot guy in the world. So having him on a point guard did not go well, um, predictably, in that stretch. Also, Gallo burned them a couple times in transition defense. Not his best uh, work in this game as well. Uh, Dallas pushed the lead up to eight at one point in the first half. Uh, they brought in DeLon actually with Trey um, about midway through the first quarter. Um, but the Hawks' offense, honestly, was pretty hideous. You know, they were minus five with the bench group. And then when Stars came back in, they actually scored 36 points and 35 possessions to open the game. And they were probably lucky to be only down by a few points at, 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 at that point in the game, really the entire night. They were 8 of the first 26 from outside of 4 feet. That was uh, a trend that continued throughout the game. The Hawks played some zone on defense. 
it didn't go very well. And uh, I thought it was interesting and curious that the Hawks tried some zone with Hunter on the floor because the one thing that you might do to kind of slow someone like Luca or even someone like Brunson is with Hunter off the court, you don't have a great defender one-on-one. But with Hunter playing, you want to just have Hunter go at those guys. That's, that's his best strength as a player right now on either side of the floor is his one-on-one defense. And Hunter is able to guard Luca probably better than most players would be in the entire league with his physicality. But um, kind of a weird choice there through that lens. Um, but Collins was dominating early on. Even Capella was feasting a little bit around the rim. Collins had a double-double before halftime, but that was kind of their only bright spot. But the foul trouble started happening late in the first half uh, for Dallas. Not really for the Hawks in this game. The Hawks had some foul issues this year, but not really in this in this spot. Luka got his third foul with about three minutes to go in the first half, and Jason Kidd decided to ride with him, and Luka got, Luka got his fourth foul before halftime. That was a huge call in the game. And the Hawks got into the halftime break down only by four after losing, after losing by nine at one point. And they were in decent shape. You know, they hadn't played great in, at that point in time. Being down four was kind of a minor miracle in my mind. But with Luka having four fouls, you're in a pretty good spot there, even though you're down by four. Um, the offense was really ugly, as we'll get into later on. They turned the ball over uh, very, very little, which was their kind of only positive on offense. They had some points in the paint, for sure, throughout the game. The perimeter shooting was unsightly. Collins had 12 and 10 in the first half. Trey, though, had a bad half, 1 of 8 from the floor. 0-4 from three. Had some assists for, I think he had six assists in the first half, but no rhythm for him whatsoever. Defensively, they actually held Dallas to 42% from, from two-point range, but the one issue beyond three-point range stuff for the defense was that the Dallas Mavericks asserted themselves on the offensive glass in the first half. They were better after halftime, the Hawks were, but in the first half, Dallas secured 10 offensive rebounds on 29 missed shots, which is uh, not a good ratio for the defense, let's just say. So that was uh, firmed up later, but it kind of burned them a little bit before halftime. Lots to get into, but basically, you know, while the halves weren't like complete mirrors of each other, there were lots of the same strengths and weaknesses from the two halves. So we'll get into the second half later on, and I'll just kind of give you the peek ahead to say the Hawks scored 18 points in the fourth quarter. So that's, if you're looking for something to circle, that was kind of it. But before we dive into the second half of this game, and much, much more, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Bill Bar. This time of year, I usually have given up on all my resolutions for the new year, but this time around, that is not the case. And part of that is because of Bill Bar. Built Bar is fantastic. I actually enjoy eating Built Bar, and that helps me to eat healthy and eat right. If you haven't tried the Puffs just yet, you're missing out on one of the best-tasting Built Bars. Puffs are the first-ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're an absolute treat, and they're 100% chocolate. There's some incredible flavors. You have churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. They're all very, very good, and they're going to be your new favorite. Built Bars are low-calorie, high-protein. You can replace your candy bars with them because they're better for you, and they taste fantastic as well. Go to Built.com, scroll down to the macros chart, you'll be blown away with all the high-protein, low-calorie, high-fiber, low-carb, and everything else you can see. And honestly, if you compare it to candy bars, it's not even close. You have mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, you have white chocolate cookies and cream. They're all delicious, and new flavors coming out all the time. If you think the flavor might be good, they'll absolutely make it for you. It'll be delicious, and it'll be good for you. At Built Bar, they're all about taste. They make it taste delicious first, and then they figure out how to make it healthy. I don't know how they do it, honestly, but they pull it off every single time. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you can 50% off your order with Built Bar. That's Built.com, promo code LOCKED15. Use that promo code today and check it out at Built.com. So early in the third quarter, a lot went in the Hawks' direction, quite honestly. The Mavs opened up in a zone defense, and they tried to hide Luka on that end of the floor on purpose, which is probably the right decision. Your best player in their minds, uh, he has four fouls. You're trying to hide him. And weirdly, uh, the fifth foul that Doncic got was within the first minute of the second half. Usually, nobody plays with four fouls that early in the uh, half. But when you have a star player that's kind of their offense almost unto himself, they had to try to play him. 
It was kind of a weird play after offensive rebound. He ran into Trey around the free throw line. Trey definitely sold it a little bit, but it was a foul. I mean, it was a strange call. It was a strange moment in the uh, in in the game for sure. And but if you look at that sort of letter of the law, it was a foul. You know, I thought about the fact that maybe Kid would challenge, but he didn't even try to do that at that point in time. And at the end of that, the best player on Dallas has five fouls with 11 minutes to go in the third quarter. And if you're circling that, if I'm betting right then and there, if the Hawks win this game, I'm going to say yes because. You have to assume, and they did sit him for this long. He sat for like 12 or 13 minutes straight. And that, you know, that's huge, especially for a team like the Mavs that's kind of uh, so reliant on him. And then it got even worse from there for Dallas than that. He got a technical foul, Luka did. And then the Hawks were only down by six when that all happened. Moments later, Jalen Brunson, by far their, their second best shot creator, got his fourth foul and his fifth foul. <laughs> so essentially, within the first six minutes of the third quarter, Dallas's two best and really two only shot creators in the perimeter had five fouls, not four fouls, five fouls in the third quarter. That never happens. Like, take away any Hawks fandom or any Hawks lens. Like, I watch a lot of NBA games. That does not happen. It's like, it's more of a rarity thing. Like, and they were fouls. It wasn't like there was a, it was flukish or anything like that. It was just the way that it all broke down. They had to lean on Brunson when Luka left, so they left him in the game with four. It was all crazy, and I just want to say that never happens. But regardless, um, there was some stretch from the Hawks early in that third quarter. Capella had a great stretch on defense where he blocked Finney Smith's shot and then altered another shot, got two ribbons in traffic and started the break a little bit with his defense. Of course, in the middle of that, he missed a layup. I know the Hawks fans are furious about that. I'll come back to Capella later on. But uh, I would say the, the good outweighed the bad with him in this game, but still the uh, finishing around the rim sticks in people's minds. And I, I do understand that because it is maddening in the moment. But the Hawks got it back, actually, and tied it within a few minutes. But then Brunson got some foul trouble, all that fun stuff, um, as I mentioned before. And then the Mavs got a 7-0 run to go back into, sort of back into control of the game. And as I mentioned before, the Hawks never led after the first quarter. So they tied it several times, but were never able to get over the top to take the lead again. Um, you know, the foul trouble became really the story of things. And Trey had his best pressure of the game right after that. He had... Um, a couple of nice assists to Collins and Gallinari for dunks, getting things going a little bit. He made a jump shot, then found Collins again, and he kind of keyed that 8-0 run that the Hawks put together to, once again, tie the game with about three minutes to go in the third. It was not a good game for Trey, but that was definitely his best stretch of the night. The Hawks were down by four at the end of the third quarter, and Trey played the, Trey played the entire third. Collins played 11 and a half minutes on his own, so they definitely leaned in trying to make a run in that time period. They just were not, were not able to do it, and I tweeted this during the game, but the Hawks being only able to like scratch a claw like a two-point margin in the 11 minutes that Lucas sat in the third quarter was a missed opportunity. Now that's very obvious, but it also was true. Like it wasn't a disaster. They won that period of time by two points, but you needed to do more than that when you were trailing and that ended up biting them a little bit later on, I thought, in that in that stretch. In fact, in the third quarter, the Hawks actually uh, were break even. It was 26-26 in the third quarter and Doncic and Brunson scored two points for Dallas combined in the quarter. That is, uh, if you told me that the Hawks were tied in a quarter, I would tell you there's no chance that they only have two points between Luka and Brunson in the third quarter, but that happened because the Hawks could not, could not, could not score efficiently the entire game. They got to the line nine times in the third quarter. That was their one, that was one bright spot where they couldn't get shots to go from the, from the, from the field. And that kind of led into, as I said before, the really some hideous basketball. <laughs> I try not to repeat myself too much, but... It really was the overriding, the overriding theme of this game was how bad it was in a lot of ways. But nobody scored for either team for like three minutes to begin the fourth quarter. It was a lot of scattered stuff, some bad shot making, some bad ball security, some bad process. The Hawks did, the Hawks did draw some fouls to get closer to the bonus early on in the fourth, but kind of blew that, didn't take full advantage of it. There was a great contest at the rim by Okongwu that I want to at least point out defensively. He had a couple of nice plays on defense. 
in this game. The Hawks did finally score, um, but it actually took three shots of one possession to actually get them to score. So that was kind of a microcosm of the game in some respects. Um, they brought Luka back with like nine minutes to go for the first time in a long time, and Hunter came in at the same time, which I thought was the right decision from McMillan. But the Hawks were down by two at that, at that stage. And then uh, at, at a timeout with about eight minutes to go, the Hawks were down by five. At that point, they had scored so little that it was kind of uh, frustrating. But, you know, again, trying to be a little bit positive, given how bad the offense was, they were bringing the starters back in the game, including Trey, um, down by five. And you're definitely in a good spot. Not, not, not a great spot, but a decent one. Now, I don't think the Congo was great in this game by any means, but if there was one moment that I wanted to at least flag on a positive side for the second-year big man, it was that he had a great, rep, a great rep against Doncic defensively. He didn't block the shot, but it was a one-on-one situation where he was, he was having to guard Luke on the perimeter. He stuck with him, and this is one of those things where Okongwu is so special in terms of his prospect status, is that he really looked very comfortable and adept. Luke is not the fastest guy in the world, so I want to at least note that, but Okongwu was, you know, that, that's a center sliding with Luka Doncic, staying in front of him, forcing him into a pretty bad fadeaway that he missed. So uh, if you want to look for some positivity, that's uh, definitely something to take away from this game. Anyway, though, the offense was just abysmal, quite honestly. Uh, Dallas didn't score for about three minutes or so, three and a half minutes in the middle of the quarter. The Hawks had eight points in almost eight minutes to begin the fourth quarter. That is obviously terrible. And then Nate called timeout down by four with four minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And at that, at that point, it was 10 to 10 in the fourth quarter through eight minutes of clock time. Now, from that point forward, it was all Dallas, unfortunately. Uh, after that timeout, Hunter threw the ball, Hunter threw the ball away for uh, a layup because actually it wasn't a layup; it was blocked by Herder in transition. But it was a, an obvious goaltend off, off the uh, off the backboard. So that was a bad turnover by DeAndre, and uh, you know not not a bad recovery by Herder, but didn't quite get there in time. And then Trey misses a pretty contested jump shot. Doncic hits, hits a pretty crazy floater, and the Hawks are down by eight with three minutes to go. Then Trey gets tied up, so it wasn't like a flat out turnover, but it was a jump ball which the Hawks lost. So that minute between timeouts, was minus four and possession for Dallas. Just a terrible minute, and that ended up being something to flag for sure. They finally, after the timeout, got a stop on Luka missing a three, but then Trey almost turns it over, actually. Really did turn it over, and then Brunson kind of fumbled it back away. But they got a layup for Hunter. That was actually a pretty big break, I thought, for the Hawks to get back within six, and they had some life. But after a long possession defensively, it wasn't even a bad trip defensively until the very, very end. They lost Brunson at the very end of the shot clock, makes a three, and the Hawks are down by nine again with two minutes to go. Collins misses a pretty decent look at about an eight-footer in the lane. It was contested, but that's a shot that he makes often. Didn't make it there. And then they lost Reggie Bullock for a three, and the Hawks are down by 12 with 140 to go. Now, it wasn't totally over at that stage. There's a tiny chance you can win. They got it to eight at one point with about a, you know less than a minute to go, but there was no real comeback plan. The game was basically over on those back-to-back threes from Brunson and then Bullock. And again, it was a 12 to two run at the worst possible time for Atlanta. They scored 18 points in the fourth quarter, uh, and that was not even like I mean it was an outlier in the game, and that it was the worst quarter they had along the way. But it wasn't like there was anything surprising when you watch the rest of this game because the Hawks offensively were so bad. Um, just for the second half, let's just leave the second half there. Um, the Hawks shot 30 percent from the floor in the second half. They were one of 10 from three in the second half, and they had seven assists. And seven turnovers. Now, seven turnovers is not a bad number for a half, but seven assists is ghastly for the Hawks. That's a terrible number for the Hawks, but that's only the second half. They scored 44 points in the half. The numbers for the full game we'll get into in a second, but if you're trying to circle something, the second half production was uh, pretty hideous. In the fourth quarter, the Hawks actually were 9-22 from the floor, which is not so bad, but they were 0-5 from three and no free throw attempts and three assists, four turnovers in the fourth. So 
I have some bad numbers for you that I'll pass along in a moment on the full game, and then we'll get into some player observations and much more from this contest. But first, a word from our sponsors from BetOnline. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before as football continues its march to the playoffs right to the big game in a couple of weeks. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, your podcasts, and your news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has ultimate info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, tennis, golf, auto racing, and much more in addition to live real-time updates of current games. Do not want to take advantage of this amazing offer and everything that's going on at BetOnline.net this season in 2022. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, and before we dive into the player observations, some final team takeaways from this one. I sort of lean into it, but I'll just say it plainly now. This is an offense first loss for the Hawks, and it's not even really up for debate, to be honest. The offense was very, very bad. Even when you account for Dallas being good defensively, and they are. This is the top five defense in the league by a stat standpoint in terms of points per possession allowed. They're good on defense, full stop. Um, obviously not quite as good maybe without like Kleber, who's one of the best defenders, and Brzezinski is not like the best guy in the world. But still, this is a bad offensive performance from the Hawks, full stop. They scored less than a point per possession in the game. That is uh, terrible against any opponent, to be honest with you, especially when you are a top two or three offense in the, in the entire league, as the Hawks are. So, you know, sometimes you're going to have bad, a bad night to the offense. So I'm not going to say that they're, like, foolproof. Even teams like Utah, who's leading the league in, the, in offense, have they have bad nights. That happens. But the Hawks were not good process-wise or shooting-wise. Now, the easy way to get into this is that the Hawks were 5 of 25 from three. That is quite bad. Obviously, 20, 20%, that's going to hurt your offense um, and make it difficult on you for sure. But that's not a huge attempt number. In fact, that's below what the Hawks average in terms of shot attempts from three. So it wasn't like they bombed 40, 40 plus three point attempts. They just missed them all, and that was why they lost. Now, that was a factor for sure. As I mentioned in the last couple games by the Hawks, they had a really uh, nice shooting split against Phoenix that kind of helped them to the win. Then they had a bad shooting split against Toronto, and I kind of account for those those issues being huge parts of why they lost or won those two games. This game was kind of the same thing in that Dallas made their threes and the Hawks didn't. But if you look at sort of below the line, there were lots of issues for the offense in this game. 46% on twos. That's very bad. Um, so even if the Hawks had shot well from three, the offense was going to have some issues when you have that kind of two-point shooting. And honestly, it was because they took a lot of like weird mid-rangers and a lot of weird floater attempts. And a lot of those go in sometimes. Like Trey Young had a bad game offensively, which, which we'll get into in a second. But um, when they were at the rim, they were effective. But they were not at the rim. It was really bad the entire night. Uh, and the numbers there are like pretty ghastly, to be honest with you. Um, I could go into like every single category. But basically, when the Hawks were not at the rim... They were very, very bad. So they were 22 of 33 on shots at the rim, according to cleaning the glass. Basically, that means shots within four feet of the basket. 22 of 33. Every other shot they took, they were 15 of 62. That's 24% or so, I believe. So when you shoot that badly outside of four feet, you are going to lose. <laughs> uh, almost without fail. Now, they almost it was they were still competitive in the game because they had some other things. So... They did a good job on the offensive glass. That definitely helped. Turnovers, the Hawks won the battle. They had 12 in the game, which is about what they averaged, so nothing great nor bad there. Um, they got to the line 16 times. That's not that's not very much. In fact, that's below their average, but they made 15 of them. So at least they were accurate when they got there. Uh, but just some process failures, honestly. I think that while the Hawks didn't take a ton of threes, they probably could have taken even more from there. But my bigger issue, by far, was that the Hawks had so much success getting to the rim 
and particularly using their size and their athleticism advantage near the rim with Collins and even Capella and Kongwu to get some advantages. And when that happened, when they did that, they found success. McMillan said that they wanted to attack the entire game and that, that was their game plan. They just didn't do that. I mean, they got when, when they got into the lane, they settled for some floaters, etc. You know, Collins was still really really good, but they could have given them the ball even more in this game. So I'm not, I'm not going to rant rave even more about this, but, you know, when they're 8 of 26 on floater range shots, that's obviously really bad. 2 of 11 on mid-rangers, that's really bad. Ten, so that's 10 of 37 on combined, you know, shots from 4 to 14 feet, basically. Um, they only took three corner threes in the game. That's a terrible process. Um, you want to take a ton of corner threes. That's, that's one of the best shots in the league you take. They were 3 of 21 on, non, on non-corner threes. That's terrible. So up and, down the, up and down the spectrum here on offense, it was bad. Um, defensively, it was not perfect. I tweeted during the game that the Hawks were defending pretty well, and I stand by that. Um, I, I was not saying that the Hawks were elite on defense, because they weren't, but they ended up giving up a reasonable outing to Dallas in this game. Dallas scored less than 1.1 points per possession. They were below their average on offense in this game. Now, the, the one exception to that was that the Hawks did allow too many open threes. It was kind of reminiscent of the Budenholzer era when the Hawks were good on defense, when they had good players, the Millsap, Horford days especially. But their one Achilles heel was was three-point defense. They gave up too many threes, and that's been a bud stable for a long time. Now, the Hawks are playing a different scheme now than they were then. But Dallas was 16 of 36 from three. That's 44%. That's not crazy, crazy outlier good because, you know, they're a better shooting team than some. But they're not actually – I think they're bottom five or six in the league in three-point percentage this year. That's been a Achilles heel for Dallas. But – a lot of them were open, so I'm not going to say otherwise. The Hawks gave up 15 corner threes in the game attempts. Um, as I said before, the Hawks only took three. So Dallas had five times as many three-point attempts from the corners as the Hawks did. That's a process failure on both ends of the floor. Um, you know, Dallas shot better than you expect on open threes, but giving up that many open threes was the problem for sure. I'm not saying otherwise. But Dallas was 42% on twos in this game. That's good defense. They turned it over 16 times. Dallas is number three in the league in turnovers this year. Uh, they're behind Atlanta, but they average like 12, 12 and a half a game. And 16 turnovers for, by the way, the Hawks are usually pretty bad at creating turnovers. So that was a positive in this game as well. They held the Mavs to 13 free throw attempts. That's very, very low. Um, the Hawks were very bad, as I mentioned earlier, on the glass in the first half on the defensive glass. But the second half, they were actually awesome. Um, the Mavs got very, very few offensive rebound chances in the second half of this game. Actually, they only secured two out of, uh, I believe, it, yeah, two out of 21 misses. So that's that's excellent. That's uberly after halftime. Now, they were bad in the first half, but for the entire game, it wasn't like a problem defensive rebounding. In fact, the Hawks won the glass on both ends, both ends of the floor. So I don't know. I can, go, I can go with stats all day long, but I'll, I'll just say this one more time. The offensive process was bad. The offensive results were bad. It was kind of a perfect storm there. And then defensively, they weren't perfect, but if you ask me if this was like an average or better game for the Hawks defense, I would say it was at least it was at least average. It was probably better than average in my mind because of the you know part of that the Hawks have been bad this year defensively. It was probably more of an average game for some other teams, but they did their job on defense. If you told me coming into the game that the Hawks were going to allow a 108 offensive rating to the Mavs, I would have said the Hawks are going to win more often than not, uh, and they lost this game by nine points. So that kind of tells you that the defense was not the problem in this game. 
Okay, from there, we'll get out of here shortly, but the player uh, observations have to come now. We'll be quick on these, at least relatively so. DeLon Wright had a quiet game, two points in 17 minutes, had an assist and a steal, kind of did his job, but didn't do a ton else. It was a kind of just an okay game for DeLon. I actually might have played him even more than they did, to be honest with you. He was always playing defense and not killing them, um, but we'll leave that there for now. Bogdanovich uh, did not have a good game on either end of the floor, I thought. Five points, did have three assists and six rebounds in 23 minutes, but was two of ten from the floor, including one of seven on twos. That kind of contributes to the awful two-point shooting that the Hawks had in this game. He had some bad mid-range misses, etc. And then defensively, just a step slow. Um, Matchup-wise, you know, it's, it's a tough one for having him guard like Brunson and Trey Burke, but not great from Bogdanovich overall. Akongwu, not his best, not his worst. He was at least active defensively. I mentioned the Doncic possession, but he also had three steals and two blocks. So uh, on defense, kind of the theme the entire night, the Hawks were good, especially inside three-point line defensively, and he was a part of that. So it wasn't an A-plus game from up front for Akongwu. He had some rookie like mistakes along the way on offense in particular, but I thought he was just okay. It wasn't like he was terrible, just not a uh, not a banner game either. Gallinari uh, actually was efficient on offense, had 11 points on uh, nine shooting possessions and five rebounds, but defensively he was an issue. People were kind of lamenting him closing the game on offense. I didn't mind that too much once they were behind. I thought that they probably should have played Capella. In fact, I know that in my, in my mind they definitely should have played Capella more in the second half of this game where Capella played six minutes. That's unacceptable in my mind because I know that Capella had the missed layups in this game, but if you are being objective and I try to pipe myself in doing that, I know Hawks fans are mad at Capella right now and I get that, but he was objectively good in this game. Um, the, the, the layups were bad for sure, but not playing him more in the second half was a mistake uh, and using those minutes of Gallinari, like once, you, once you're down, you know, once it's an eight point game with four minutes to go, maybe you go to Gallo at that point in time because you're trying to, you're trying to increase your variance. But before that, I would have gone to Capella because I thought he was their best center in this game. We'll leave that there for now. But Gallo was, you know, kind of a, Kind of a usual Gallo game, not a great one, not a terrible one, but the usual strengths and weaknesses from him. Uh, Herter had a below average game for him, 11 points, two assists, had a steal, um, but was only one of five on twos. Again, kind of like McDonough, nobody was making twos in this game. Um, three of eight on threes, though, he was the only guy from three that shot well in the entire game. In fact, the rest of the team, other than Herter, was two of 17 from three. Now, three of eight's like basically right what he averages, like 37.5%, but the rest of the team, one more time, was two of 17 <laughs> From three, so it was at least that from Herter. Not, not, not a whole lot else, but uh, we'll leave that there. Uh, Capella, as I mentioned before, should have played more in my mind. Had eight points, nine rebounds in twenty minutes. Um, you know, six minutes in the second half is just baffling to me. But rebounding was obviously a huge strength of his. Defensively, he played well, I thought. Um, but the missed layups um, reared their ugly head, so I can't say otherwise. His finishing's been a problem for sure. The uh, Andre Hunter, kind of a mixed bag game. Fourteen points. Six rebounds, um, but actually below average efficiency because he got to the line seven times. So it's like 14 points on like 15 shooting possessions. So that's below what you want. Um, two turnovers. Defensively, when he was one-on-one, -on -one, I guess Doncic did a good job. That's a strength of Hunter's. But also rebounding was not his best in, in this game. When, the, when he was playing, the Hawks got more on the glass. He actually was a game-worst uh, minus 12, which I don't necessarily uh, just accrue just to him. But kind of a middling game from him, I thought, on both ends of the floor. His on-ball defense was good, but his other stuff was not and then uh, you know, had a bad turnover late, etc. So not a uh, not a not, not the best game from Hunter. Not the worst either, but not not great. Uh, Trey Young, we usually save for last, but in this game I'm going to save Collins for last because Collins was just better in this game. But uh, Trey has one that he would, would would want back almost certainly. 17 points and 11 assists. Um, again, speaks to how Trey is so effective that when he's really bad, honestly, by his standards, he still is able to make an impact on some level because 11 assists. He had a bunch of like direct you know, setups for layups and dunks. And he, he makes that happen with, with his gravity and his vision and all that stuff. His passing is incredible always. But 
Offensively, it was one of his worst games of the season, I think, on the whole. Uh, 17 points on about 22 shooting possessions. Um, 6 of 19 from the floor. 0 of 6 on threes. So 6 of 13 on twos is not very good either. Um, got to the line five times, made all five. The four turnovers just didn't have it in this game. He had the one good stretch, where I think it was like a three and a half, four minute stretch where he was creating really with his passing more than anything else, but he just never found the rhythm offensively. He had, he had some forces. He had some settles offensively. Even in the first half when the Hawks were playing a little bit better on offense, he was feeding stuff and getting going, and uh, and then he would kind of look to try to score and take a step-back jump shot, and he just didn't have any rhythm in this game. So it was a choppy one. Uh, he doesn't suddenly uh, suck or anything like that. Uh, Trey Young is really good, but and he's maybe due for one of these, but he was not good, and he was certainly one of the bigger reasons why the Hawks were bad on offense. It was not because of him. It was, be- you know, it was because of basically everyone other than Collins. Um, I'm not sure anybody else on the team – I would describe as having an above-average offensive game. Maybe you could say that like Gallo was kind of average for him. Uh, obviously, Collins was really good. Um, but Herter was probably below average on other three-point shooting. But Donovan was below average, etc. So it wasn't all on Trey, but when you are the offensive engine of the team and the, and the engine is and the and the team is bad on offense and so are you, you get a lot of the uh, the flack and you probably should. That's part of the job. When he's awesome, he gets all the credit as he should. So uh, we'll leave it there, but I don't think that Trey was like, you know, it wasn't an F minus game for him. He's he's been worse than this. Like the Charlotte game last year comes comes to mind, but it was certainly a bottom five. If you want to be kind, it was definitely a bottom five offensive game of the season from from Trey Young. So we'll leave that there. Uh, finally, the most positive thing of the night was John Collins. 22 points, a season-high 18 rebounds, an assist and a steal for John, 10 of 20 from the floor, so it wasn't like he was perfect, um, 0 of 2 on threes. He cooled off for sure in the second half, as basically everybody did. Uh, he was only 4 of 10 from the floor after halftime, which is you know not fantastic, but he still scored 10 points, 8 rebounds in the second half, and for my money, at least until like late, and I think maybe the entire way, he was the best player on the court for both teams. That's how good he was. Uh, defensively, he played well. He was a big threat around the rim. Uh, you know, John was really good in this game. It's a good reminder that he uh, is really good, and I never kind of wavered on that, but it's a good matchup for him as well. And if anything, it's going to sound crazy, and I know I'm a broken record on this, but if anything, he should have been used more. <laughs> he took 20 shots, which is, I think, maybe a season high or close to it for Collins, and he still probably should have had the ball more uh, around the rim between uh, he and he and Capella and the Kongwu just kind of put pressure on the rim. So it was a good night for John. Uh, just last thing on here, and we'll move on to the look-ahead portion of the podcast. But uh, he was actually asked after the game about trade rumor stuff. It's that time of the year. Uh, the, the deadline is Thursday, so it's not like a crazy question. But he, once again, I believe for at least the third time, said that he wants to be in Atlanta when asked about his future. Um, you know, it's been pretty quiet, as I talked about a little bit on the last podcast. The reporting has been uh, that's cooling off with regard to Collins in particular, and really for the Hawks overall. Now, the Hawks did have now lost two in a row, so maybe that will inspire them to look a little bit more at the trade rumors and stuff like that. But uh, it will continue to surprise me if he's traded. It wouldn't stun me, but it would surprise me. And I think that he's been consistent, at least on the record, talking about how he is how he wants to be in Atlanta. So any notion that he has asked out or something like that, maybe he has behind the scenes. I, I don't know that. But everything that he said publicly means that he wants to stay here. So I want to at least pass that along to you as part of the postgame press conference on this Sunday evening. Okay, last thing. This was not the worst loss of the season for the Hawks. I could go down a list of losses. Uh, I won't tell you it's a good loss because, again, I if you told me all of what happened personnel-wise for Dallas in this game between who missed the game and who the foul trouble stuff like that, the Hawks should have won, in my mind. If the Hawks had played an average game on offense, they would have won this game. So it's not a great loss. It's not one that you could say, like, you just chalk it up to the, to the situation. But, you know, for instance, 
They lost by 16 uh, in, to the Lakers like a month ago. They lost a game in Portland this season where Trey had 56 points and they lost anyway because they couldn't get a stop the entire game. Uh, they lost to the Magic at home this season. Uh, they lost to the Rockets at home this season. Um, yeah, I, I go down the list, but the Hawks have had several worse losses than this one. I'm not going to say that it was the greatest loss in the world because it wasn't, but um, let's not be a reactionary too, too much here. It's one that they want back for sure. And with the loss, they're now three games under 500. And that's not where they wanted to be because if they had won this game, I was going to tell you that the Hawks were going to be favored to be over 500 again by the end of this week because the next two games on the schedule are games in which the Hawks will be favored unless they have serious injury issues. They play Tuesday at home against Indiana. Indiana is not very good. Now, that's a game in which the Hawks could absolutely lose. The Pacers have a pretty good point differential, actually, for a team that's as bad as they are, but they're 19-36 and 36 this year. That's a team. That's a game that you have to win. Uh, on Friday, they play at home against the Spurs, and the Spurs are also not very good this year. They're 20-34 and 34 this season. So the next two games, the Hawks will be favored at home. They also have um, rest advantages in both those games. So we'll get into all that later, but it's kind of a slow week on the court. You don't often see in the middle of the season uh, the Hawks playing only two games in six and a half days. That's about, to, that's about to happen. Now, of course, the deadline is Thursday in the middle of all that. So we'll have plenty of podcast fodder. My schedule for this week on the podcast is kind of up for debate as a result of that. We'll definitely have a game recap podcast after the Tuesday game and after the Friday game. But beyond that, we'll probably have a show before and after the deadline. But if anything happens between now and then, might have an extra show, etc. So we'll do what we can to prepare you for that. I have some salary cap um, primer kind of stuff to pass along before the deadline actually arrives. And Thursday, if they do anything, that's obviously going to be an emergency little podcast. I do have to work, but I will uh, do what I, do whatever I can to record a podcast as soon as possible post-deadline, which is at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on, on the East Coast. So all that said, the best way to find the podcast is to subscribe to this show. If you are a new listener, welcome aboard. I hope you enjoyed this particular episode, even if you did not enjoy the game. I will be as honest and real and uh, candid as I possibly can be on this show. When the Hawks play well, I'll say they play well. When they don't play well, I'll pass that along too. And uh, that's part of the shtick on this podcast. I will not tell you what I see, and uh, I will not uh, sugarcoat it too, too much. Uh, but alas, hopefully you enjoyed the podcast. If you did not, my apologies, and hopefully you'll give us one more chance. So, Please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, etc. We are also going to be exploring a move to YouTube in the near future. So just a little plug on that. I will give you more information on that in the near future as well. Some more video stuff. I'm not sure why you want to look at me, but if you want to, you certainly can. Um, and also follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. You can follow me on Twitter at BTRoland. Please, please, please subscribe, tell a friend, and we'll see you at the very latest after the game on Tuesday.